electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'm people make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me, at Jim Kramer. Today certainly started out as a sedate kind of day, and it looked like we were going to have still one more placid move higher. But as the afternoon wore on, sellers swarmed in, perhaps because this is one of the most overbought tapes in ages. And it's nuts not to take a few profits here after this kind of multi-week run. By the end of the day, we had a serious and total rout. The house of pain. On our hands with the Dow tumbling 476 points. That's be plunging 1.47%. NASDAQ plummeting 1.5%. It was one of the ugliest days in months. And all I can say is what I've been saying to the investing club and to you in the morning, noon, and night. You have to do, take like days like this and you have to do some selling just like we've been doing for the Chapel Trust. These are days to get out, not to get in. You have to take something off the table. It's been too good for too long and too much buying and not enough selling, and now it's time to pay the piper. I know even though most of the damage stemmed from a not-so-hot quarter from FedEx, which just got pancaked, falling almost $34, 12%, there was a ton of finger-pointing at, well, let's say the usual suspects, Magnificent seven. Me, I thought that was the wrong place to find woke. In fact, it was one place to find a glimmer of hope, and that was the trading in Alphabet, formerly Google. So rather than dwell on the sell-off, which everybody's doing, maybe, and it probably isn't even finished, by the way, I want to talk about resilience, Mag 7 style of this crazy stock market. You know, at one point today, Alphabet stock, which closed up $1.69, had, had rallied $5, adding nearly $63 billion in market capitalization. And I searched all over the reason why some stock was up that much. And look, a stock that moves up more than $60 billion is a stock that you got to pay some attention to. I looked around and saw some stories, the most cogent being that the company might be reorganizing its gigantic ad sales force now that it can use machine learning to figure out what works best. 
Who needs 30,000 salespeople in an ad sales unit when artificial intelligence can figure out the smartest way for your customers to advertise? Hey, uh, that makes sense. We know Adobe's artificial intelligence platform can tell us what the right colors to use on an ad and what words are action-oriented, so why can't Alphabet do the same thing with its treasure trove of search data? Who needs so many marketing experts with subjective opinions when we now have machines that can simply tell you the right answers? And those machines, they don't get paid. They don't take vacations. They never have a sick day. They're never in a bad mood. You don't need to cover them with health insurance. And don't have to take them to a Christmas party either. Not long after Alphabet's big jump, Steve will put out a note explaining that an ad department restructuring could be worth anywhere from 8 to 20 cents per share. Or suddenly we have numbers. Struggle with a pen. 8 to 20 cents. How many companies can lay off a ton of people and see their earnings jump? Not just because people are expensive, but because the machines can do a better job. This one did get me thinking, though. This is one of those reasons that the Magnificent Seven has been so magnificent, so unbeatable. At any given time, especially on a down day like today, some jokers can find an idea that might be worth more than $60 billion from one of these companies. For example, when I saw that Alphabet was up that much, I immediately thought of a half dozen other ways they could have created value. Let me walk you through them. First, I wonder if they could uh, finally get rid of Waymo, their self-driving business with great technology that Alphabet simply hasn't been able to monetize. When you think about it, GM blew $8 billion on its self-driving business, only to say goodbye to all the senior managers, including Kyle Vogt. I rode around with him in self-driving cruise in San Francisco not that long ago. That might not be the best comparison for Waymo, but self-driving is not exactly a home run. Maybe people just, in the end, like hands-free driving. Maybe there will always be resistance. Maybe Alphabet should just sell Waymo to GM or whoever's willing to pay something for it. That might make the stock go up a ton, although $63 billion, $63 billion is a lot of money. That might be a stretch. Waymo's got a real following in San Francisco, and it's moving into Austin. What a great time to spin or sell it. Second, Alphabet could easily rally that much if they decide to spin off Google Cloud Services as a separate company. Last quarter, this division did around $8.6 billion in revenue, disappointing the bulls who were hoping for $8.5 billion. Yeah, I mean, really, even though we're only talking about a less than a $200 million difference here, the stock shed $180 billion in value in response to this one division. $180 billion. Heck, if they closed down Google Cloud, it might, it might not have been down that much. Can you imagine how great if it would be if Alphabet spun this business off in a separate company and kept back 12, 25%? Third, last time Google reported, they talked about how the beloved their Sunday NFL ticket was, but they didn't give us any numbers. If we simply hear rumors that they're telling people those numbers are incredible, much higher than expected, then the stock's going to roar. Fourth, if we hear that YouTube shorts have jumped from 70 billion views to 100 billion views, and thanks to the AI-powered advertising, they're generating a lot more revenue, maybe double what they used to. Well, that may sound crazily optimistic, but I think it's within the realm of possibility you get a $100 billion increase in the stock. Fifth, if Alphabet settles all cases with every entity that's suing them or even thinking of suing them and the settlements only amount to a couple billion dollars, well, let's see, they can tell the Justice Department, here's a billion dollars. And FTC, here's a billion dollars. In the States, you get a billion. In Europe, you get a billion. Hey, full Oprah mode. Next thing you know, the litigation risk is gone. The stock's on fire. Or six, they could do the opposite. Let's say Alphabet throws in the towel, gives the antitrust regulators exactly what they want by breaking up the company, splitting into search and Waymo and hardware and software and Gemini and deep whatever. YouTube, uh, Cloud, Cloud, cloud uh, Highmark Health. I mean, the grab bag of other bets. Boy, there's a lot here. If you break them into separate companies, I think they collectively worth 
much more than $160 per share. Not bad for $138 stock. Granted, some of these are, let's say, pretty out there. But you know what's the craziest thing? I could literally create a list like this for every one of the Magnificent Seven except NVIDIA, which is pretty much a straightforward graphics card company. The other six are so vast with so many divisions and so many moving parts that if they decide to split up or trim a losing division or sell something extraneous, it could propel their stocks up $42 billion, $50, $60 billion in a blink of an eye. Now, today was a crummy day in the market. We were due for a pullback. We were way overbought. These stocks have been up for what it seems like forever, as we have many others besides just the main system going higher. But unlike the others, the seven, or at least six of them, actually can control their own destinies, at least over short periods of time. Is it fair that with a wave of an eight-cent one, Alphabet stock could rally $5 this morning? Of course not. But this is the problem we have. With, with, we have thousands of stocks that are worth less than $50 billion and only a handful that are worth more than $500 billion. The mega cap companies always have some business that people don't like. If Mark Zuckerberg, for example, came out today and said he was closing his metaverse division, I can't even imagine how high meta stock would go. I don't even know if you could open it. If Amazon decided that it would spin off Alexa, not that I want that, this stock would soar. In the end, each of these now-hated divisions might turn out to be amazing stuff. Long-term, maybe it's a mistake to spin them off. But the bottom line, when you look at the landscape of stocks in the red today, you should be thinking about one thing. The Magnificent Seven have the most optionality of any publicly traded companies in modern history. To sell any of them is to forget that they have this kind of incredible power. Let's go to Jim in New York. Jim. Oh, yeah, Jim. First-time caller. I have a $10,000 gain in Pioneer Natural Resources. Okay. Should I sell or, or should I wait till ExxonMobil take over and then take the stock? No, no, no. T- just sell it. I mean, we're, we're, oil's in an uncertain position. I want you to take the gain. That would be terrific. And I say congratulations. How about we go to Raj in New Jersey? Raj. Hey, uh, Jim Booyah. Booyah, Raj. What's up? I enjoy your program, and I am a member, and I have an all-access yes. membership with CNBC. Excellent. And I enjoy your text messages and objective coverage. Thank uh, you. It has been a wonderful experience. Congratulations. Oh, man, thank you. And uh, my question is about uh, uh, the uh, NVIDIA. It has been going up and up and up, and today there has been a pullback. Should I continue holding with uh, yes, NVIDIA? Yes, NVIDIA is still right here. To- NVIDIA had the biggest blowout in the history of the Western world. And then had another good blowout, but it wasn't enough. And the stock's been meandering. And a lot of people are getting tired of it. And they're probably going to sell it down or say it can't reach you know, a double top or something like that. Micron reported a good number tonight, not really analogous. But I think NVIDIA is one amazing company. Sells at 25 times next year's earnings and 20 times a year after that. That's too inexpensive versus the tremendous growth you have. Peter in Pennsylvania. Peter. Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah, Peter. Hey, I love your show. First time caller. And I love the advice on NVIDIA. Uh, My question is, I bought this stock about a year ago, paid about 50 bucks a share, bought some more of the way down. Now it's at 28. Uh, Buy, sell, or hold Pfizer, PFE. Oh, Pfizer. Uh, Okay, well, here's the problem with Pfizer. They just don't have a good enough pipeline. I think the stock with the 6% yield is fine. 
But you know what? If it's $27 and it went to 32, here's what I would tell you to do. Sell, 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 sell. Yeah, I, I wish I could be more positive, you know, positive, but that's really about it. I don't think there's much more to it. All right, amid the landscape of red in the market today, it's worth remembering the Magnificent Seven have the most optionality of any publicly traded companies in modern history. To sell any of them, you must remember that they can always do something that helps their cause. Oh man, tonight, the win streak for the Dow and NASDAQ may indeed be over. I'm eyeing one name in tech that's recently caught fire that you may have missed that might be worth buying into the weakness. Then FedEx is falling with the rest of the market, down 12% after a second quarter miss. What could it mean for the delivery giant going forward? I'll take you a closer look. But first, this week we hosted our monthly meeting for CBC Investing Club subscribers, and we couldn't get to all of your amazing questions. So we decided to keep the momentum going and give them you today. Question and answer, and I think you'll like them. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yesterday, the CMC Investing Club had our monthly meeting where my colleague Jeff Marks and I run through your questions and the thought process of the club. We discuss each of the current holdings, take the questions from you, 
We always have more questions than we do have time. And my favorite part is hearing directly from you. So tonight what we're going to do is going to give you an inside look at what we do in the investing club. Take a few more questions from club members right here. And if you like this segment, may I suggest that you join the club. You can sign up ahead of the next monthly meeting by going to CNBC.com slash join the club or by holding your phone up to this QR code behind me. I do wish you join. Maybe you like what I'm about to do now. First up, we have a question from Dorothy in New York who asks, how do I know when to sell a growth stock that I believe has long term potential? Is it best to sell a little at a time and buy some more on the next dip? More specifically, I'm talking about Elf. Okay, good. You're, you know, this is uh, eyes, lips, face. It's been a stock that we've liked since 16. We do not own it for the trust. If you just sold it every 20 points up, you would have none by the time it got to 80. Here's what I suggest. I think you don't sell any of these quality growth stocks like this until you've got what I would say the house is money. So when Elf sells at a double, you take something off. And then if it goes up even more again, say almost another double, you take something off. But nothing more aggressive. We used, by the way, take off much more. But it's so hard to find great growth companies. We like to hold on to them for dear life and get rid of other things where the thesis has changed. So that's how I feel about Elf. That's how I feel about the great growth stocks of the year. Now we're taking a question from Richard, who wants to know at what percentage do you consider a short position too high? When do you know if it's a good time to buy overly shorted stocks? I don't play that game, Richard. I think that game is, is... let's just say, uh, opportunistic in the same way that GameStop was handled by the memesters. But if you take a look at, say, a firm, a, a firm at about a 20% short position, upstart even higher, all that is is a data point. If you don't like the company, you can't buy the stock because it has a big short position. If you like it, that's just more gravy, okay? That's how you look at it. Don't make any decisions based on the size of the short position. Now let's go to Stephen in California who asks, I notice that your trust does not have a defense stock. What is your recommendation for a defense type of stock? Lockheed Martin, L3 Harris. Do you know that we keep trying to put one in and they keep going higher? I felt that way. I'll give you the one right now that I was looking at, which is RTX. You know, that's the old UTX, RTX Technologies. I think that one would fit the bill. I also like the L, you know, the LHX. I think that works, the L3 Harris, because one, one is, you know, it's about radio communications, which is very state-of-the-art. And, I, you know, by the way, AVAV, Air, Aero Environment, people forget that they also have some tremendous drones that do really work in, as a way to be able to get to the enemy. Next up, we have Jonathan who asks, why don't you consider Lily as an own don't trade kind of stock? It's a great question. It really should be. Uh, I like it both for the uh, GLP-1s, but also for what they're doing with a- anti-Alzheimer's. Why didn't we do it that way? I get, you know, literally, I think that for your question, uh, my thinking, Jeff Mark's thinking, it would have been the right thing to do. And we made a mistake. We have managed to keep on a lot of the stock. But we also felt that there was many opportunities for things to go wrong with GOP-1. It just turns out they did, that they didn't. So the answer is the reason why we didn't do it is because we got it wrong. Now let's go to Stephen in Massachusetts, who asks, I am interested in ABNB. I bought it, this, uh, I bought it a month ago at 117. Uh, I noticed it's in the bullpen. Should I take profits and find a better entry next year or hold on to it? Airbnb, I think that you should take profits. And I'll tell you why. 
it has moved up so rapidly and there's so many analysts and people who do not like it. And I think this market, as I've been saying over and over again, has been just up and up and up and is overbought that I do not want to own Airbnb all the way up here. I think you'll get a better chance to buy it. Next up, we have Brenda in New Mexico who wants to know, are there any companies that will benefit from the Chips Act that have not already run? We think the Quanta is going to benefit. We think that's a great stock to own. It's probably the cleanest. We did think that Jacobs was good, but I think that Quanta is better. Next up, Mitch in Connecticut asks, now that interest rates are presumably coming down, does this have a greater or lesser effect on the decision regarding high dividend yield stocks versus growth? It makes the high dividend yield stocks much more attractive. Uh, it makes the uh, master limited partnerships much more attractive. It makes the utilities much more attractive because all we, if we just care about getting income and we get income from a stock and we're not risk averse, we want to do that. If we are risk averse, of course, we want to own bonds. So the answer is makes them much more more attractive. And that's what you should be thinking about buying. We uh, we selected Procter & Gamble, doesn't have that big a yield, as our best dividend payment stock not that long ago. Uh, but there were others that we looked at. We did have J&J, but we didn't like the talc exposure. We're constantly on the lookout for dividend stocks. And our favorite right now is not a drug company or a food company. It's Stanley Black & Ducker. And I think that should be bought by everyone. All right, there you have it. That was an exclusive look at what we do in our investment. So me at monthly meetings, although of course I do it with Jeff. There's some of my favorite things to do. So if you want more of this, I think that Jeff and I would urge you to join the club, watch our morning meetings, listen to our home stretch, get my Sunday briefings paper, and so much more. May have money's back in for the break. Coming up, did the rally in this tech giant happen out of the blue? Kramer explains the recent rocket ride at IBM. Next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Since the market bottom in late October, we've heard a lot about the Magnificent Seven and the cloud software plays. But you know what else has caught fire in tech? IBM. On October 25th, Big Blue reported a strong quarter, and the stock hasn't looked back since, falling from 137 all the way to 160 as of today. In fact, this thing's trading at levels we haven't seen in more than five years. Yep, after trading water for ages, IBM's finally managed to breathe new life into its stock. Now, some of that's simply because this dividend play has got 4.1% yield. And the moment long-term interest rates started coming down in late October, that dividend began to get more attractive versus fixed income. But it's not just about the Wall Street dividend fashion show. The fact is, the most recent quarter showed that this is no longer the IBM of old. When these guys reported their first and second quarter results this year, their sales came in lighter than expected. Given that IBM struggled to grow for years, that was a sore spot. So even though the company's also posted big earnings beats, investors couldn't look past the sales softness. When they reported again in late October, though, IBM finally had higher-than-expected revenue, up 4.6% year-over-year, or 3.5% on a constant currency basis. Wall Street was only looking for 1.1%. They beat that. 
represents a major acceleration from the previous quarter when sales were up just 0.4% on a constant currency basis. On top of that, IBM delivered an $0.08 earnings beat off a $2.12 basis with terrific free cash flow, which is often a metric that people care tremendously about with IBM, while management merely reiterated their full-year forecast. That wasn't enough to deter the buyers who were won over by the clean top and bottom line beat emphasis on clean. Really, though, the stock's been roaring because IBM was able to change the narrative this time. Years ago, when the cloud became the biggest story in tech, IBM acquired Red Hat. It's a key partner for companies looking to migrate to a hybrid cloud model, meaning part cloud, part old-fashioned on-premises software. The Red Hat deal was supposed to drag IBM into the future. And to some extent, that story's played out like it was supposed to. But I think investors got tired of CEO Arvind Krishna talking about the benefits of the hybrid cloud on every conference call. Maybe he realized that because on the latest call, he explicitly pointed out that he'd be devoting the time he normally spends on the hybrid cloud to a discussion of everything IBM's doing with artificial intelligence. Here, they've also got a hybrid strategy, helping clients create their own AI models, selling their own pre-built models, and also helping clients take advantage of open source stuff. Christian went on to detail the many inroads that IBM is making into artificial intelligence. First, there's Red Hat's OpenShift, which is a platform that helps developers build applications, including AI applications, in a hybrid environment. Works. Second, IBM's data and analytics platforms can help clients make their data, make their data more useful for AI models. Third and most important, IBM's key AI platform is called WatsonX which they launched last spring. Now, this is something that trains, tunes, validates, and deploys AI models. They can even provide pre-built models for coding, language, cybersecurity, and all sorts of other uses. Very few people can do that. Christian went into the great detail explaining how his company is certain to be considered an AI play, and not just on the technology side. IBM's also got a big consulting business, which now has more than 20,000 data and artificial intelligence consultants. These teams help their clients figure out AI and make the best use of it. Now, at the same time, the consulting division can tell IBM's product teams what customers actually want for their AI offerings. See, it's a virtuous circle. And you better believe a faster-growing IBM with an AI focus will get a much higher valuation in this stock market than the old IBM that only wanted to talk about the hybrid cloud. doesn't hurt that they spun off their slower-growing legacy business as Kindrel a couple of years ago. Hey, by the way, the, after a, a horrific decline in its first year of trading, Kindrel shares bottomed late last year, and they've been quietly moving up very well in 2023. It's up 80% year-to-date. Way for Kindrel to go. Still, Kindrel's growth rate remains negative, and we think it was the right call for IBM to jettison the business. Now, I can't take credit for seeing the move coming here, but I was, you know, but it was gettable. I'm telling you it was gettable because you had to listen to the right people specifically Bob Reiches at Melius Research. He initiated coverage on IBM with a buy rating and a $172 price target back in July. Oh, what a contrarian call at that time. Reiches argued that the company was getting enough, wasn't getting enough credit for its terrific consulting business, which makes up a third of its sales. For many years, IBM's consulting division regularly came under fire. It's often seen as a bloated and stagnant business. Now, though, this analyst argues that IBM's consulting division has a new lease on life because big enterprise customers know they need to start embracing artificial intelligence, but they're clueless on how to go about doing it, which is why you hire tech consultants. In fact, all the way back in July, Righteous was arguing that IBM's tech business, where they literally make AI products, means that they should be 
a, a, be a much more helpful consultant than, say, Accenture, which is a pure play on consultant. Hey, by the way, think about this. Accenture trades at almost 28 times next year's earnings. IBM sells for just 16 times next year's numbers. If IBM can take consulting market share, if it's doing better than Accenture, well, wait a second. It's got to get a higher price earnings multiple, doesn't it? At the same time, like I mentioned before, this is no longer your parents' IBM. After spinning off its legacy mainframe business as Kindrel, the company now gets 43% of its sales from software, 33% from consulting, both areas that tend to have higher recurring revenue and are not hardware. And Wall Street's always willing to pay more for that kind of consistency. Sure enough, when IBM reported a third quarter results a couple of months ago, both software and consulting had mid-single-digit growth rates. Earlier this year, Ben Righteous Ed Milius took a well-deserved victory lap, where he argued that the re-rating of IBM is well underway. He thinks it continues as Wall Street gradually realizes that the new IBM is structurally different from the old IBM. Specifically, it's a much better business to generate consistent revenue growth. That's why he raised his price target from 175, which was a very aggressive price target, all the way to 210. My view, I think Righteous is dead right. When you look at IBM's breakout over the past two months, it's clear that Arvind Christian finally changed the narrative. He's gotten the message across that his company's a big AI winner, and that message has the added advantage of being true. Here's the bottom line. Earlier this year, we saw so many people bid up anything with the faintest exposure to AI. Now that they've realized IBM has legitimate AI business, the stock's caught fire. But even up here, it still sells for just 16 times earnings, 4.1% dividend yield. Two more reasons why I bet it's got a lot more room to run. I want to speak to Rick in Virginia. Rick. Hey, Jim. How are you? I'm okay, Rick. How about you? Good, man. Thanks for all you do for us. I was calling about MongoDB. All right. Last quarter, they had good earnings release, good guidance, and then it sold off the next day. I've read a few things, but I don't know why it did. Is it? A buy, sell, or hold. All right. So David Tree really put up. David Tree he put up a great number, and Dev is real money. Okay, he is good. And let me tell you this about MongoDB: the stock had been an, un- uh, an unbelievable performance, up 100. percent So yes, on good news, it sold off a little bit. But this is a stock you want to buy, Rick. If this thing comes down tomorrow or next day because the market's ugly and it's overbought, I want you to think about buying more MongoDB. Because that is a good company. Frank in California, Frank. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Frank. What's up? What's your thoughts on Qualcomm? On Qualcomm? Well, you know what? We left the stock. We left the stock too early. I admit that. We bought it wrong. We sold it wrong. Maybe we got everything wrong, Qualcomm. I'll tell you this. I think the stock is a sale even all the way up here. I think that Micron is a better company. And I think that Qualcomm is too much hype. For this guy, a lot of hype in the stock of Qualcomm. Why don't we go to Ted in Massachusetts? Ted. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking the call. Long of course. Caller and listener. I'm very interested in your position on AT&T. They, ever since they came out in 1990s and then went through a whole series of changes, consolidations, all given to me by my dad, and all reinvested dividends over years. My question is, with the recent strategy, of um, direct TV and also getting rid of media, Warner Media. 
Is that still a hold, or should I well, do something It's just else? a hold. It's just a hold. Um, it is doing better. That last quarter was good. I admit to that. They've gotten rid of a lot of the problems that they had. They got a good deal when they spun off Warner Brothers, which, by the way, is apparently in talks with Paramount. I don't know that. Just rumor. But I think that it's... It's better than it used to be. All right, now that investors have realized that IBM is a legitimate AI business, the stock has indeed caught fire. But even up here, I think it's got more room to run. And I really like Ben Righteous's business. Uh, his stuff from Melius is really solid. Much more mad money ahead. FedEx was the worst performer in the SP 500 today after an ugly day for everything. Uh, they had a miss on the top and bottom line. Could the move in the red continue? I'm giving you my take. Then is the latest hack in North Face Parent VF Corp ruining your holiday gifting plans? I'll tell you if you could be worth it. Maybe you should add to it. Why don't you just listen to the piece? This is really difficult. And uh, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. we do with the stock of FedEx after last night's earnings report that sent the stock down nearly $34 or 12% today. This thing had been steadily rallying for 15 months, but now it's pulling back hard. So has the whole move been derailed or is the market possibly overreacting? Let's start with the numbers. FedEx reported a slight revenue shortfall. Total revenue was down 3% year over year, while their adjusted operating income grew by 17%. still came in a tad light. And they earned $3.99 per share when Wall Street was looking for $4.14. Even though they had 25.5% earnings growth year over year, that's still below expectations. Making matters worse, management cut their full year forecast for the 2024 fiscal year. Previously, they've been talking about flat revenue growth. Now they're saying to expect low single-digit shrinkage. While FedEx reaffirmed their earnings guidance thanks in part to uh, major cost cuts, and that does matter. Nobody wants to see more sales weakness. Hey, when you dig deeper, it's clear the problems are mostly coming from the FedEx Express business, which is unfortunate because that's also the largest segment. Still, FedEx ground is solid. FedEx freight continues to recover. It's the Express division that's unambiguously bad. Revenue was down 6% year over year, coming immediately below expectations. And their segment operating income dropped 49% from the year before. That's less than half of what Wall Street was looking for. Not good. So what's wrong with FedEx Express? Management cited both volume and yield pressures, meaning they moved fewer packages and margins were worse than expected. On the domestic side, some businesses seem, some businesses seem to move from the premium FedEx Express to the cheaper FedEx ground. Hey, that makes sense with consumers looking for bargains this holiday season. Why pay up for express shipping when you can just wait a little longer for ground? Their international express business has also been tapering off. You see, you're seeing less international air freight because ports around the world are no longer backed up and the cost of ocean freight has plummeted. The price to send a 40-foot container from Shanghai to Los Angeles has flatlined around $2,000 for the past year or so. A year and a half ago, it cost $8,000. Very hard to compete with those container ships now. Then there were these, let's say, idiosyncratic issues. For example, FedEx passes on elevated fuel costs to its customers via fuel surcharges. But with energy prices down year over year, their fuel surcharges were lower, which translates into a revenue hit. FedEx also had some problems with the contract with the U.S. Postal Service. Basically, there was less volume from that deal than they'd anticipated. But FedEx is contractually obligated to maintain relatively high service levels that now seem unnecessary. 
Finally, the company reopened its international uh, economy service in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa this year, which is good for customers, but is also a lower margin business. One reason for FedEx Express's weaker profitability. Then there was one more factor that's harder to explain. See, FedEx is in the middle of a long-term transformation plan dubbed the DRIVE program that will slash its expenses. Management only is targeting $4 billion in annual cost reductions here with $1.8 billion in savings this year alone. But this plan is still very much a work in progress. For example, FedEx needs to redesign its whole global air network to better serve e-commerce. CEO Raj Subramanian explained it in detail on the conference call last night. What you need to know is that their new air network will save the company a lot of money. But crucially, they haven't actually done it yet. It feels like Wall Street got ahead of itself, uh, assuming these savings would happen immediately. Plus, Wall Street loves Raj, I got to tell you. And they thought that he was going to be ahead of where he is on this. So what do we do now? What do we do with FedEx now that it's missed numbers and seen its stock plummet? Listen, while the problems this quarter are definitely frustrating, I don't think they're a good reason, or at least not a reason enough, to give on this, up on the stock after today's big loss. Madden described many of the issues with FedEx Express as transitory. I'm inclined to believe it. I'm giving the benefit of the doubt. Fuel surcharges coming down, kind of irrelevant, even as it seems to hurt the sales. Problematic contract with the post office. It ends next year. And people switching from express shipping to cheaper ground shipping. I don't know. It feels like something specific to the holiday season, not something permanent. Frankly, when I see all the revenue challenges FedEx faces this quarter, all I could think is that if they happened the year before, the Express Division would have posted an outright earnings loss. While FedEx earnings took a hit this time, they didn't evaporate, which is what I would have feared in another time. The fact that the numbers were so resilient and management even kept their full year earnings forecast in place shows you just how successful these guys have been at cutting costs. So even though it doesn't feel good to be a FedEx shareholder today, it's important to recognize that the company's clearly in a much better position cost-wise than it's been in ages. Now, there is one more thing that you need to monitor going forward, whether the steady build-out of Amazon's logistics network is damaging FedEx. Last month, we learned that Amazon's internal shipping operation had passed both FedEx and UPS in parcel volumes and become the nation's largest delivery business. Wow. And when I hear FedEx uh, talking about demand pressure for express shipping, I wonder how much of that is because People can get free one or two day shipping if they just put their order in with Amazon because they're prime subscribers. We also know that Amazon is rapidly growing its third party logistics operation, providing fulfillment for smaller retailers. And we wonder how much share they could take in that business. FedEx didn't mention the Amazon issue specifically, and none of the analysts mentioned it in their reaction notes this morning. I think it's going to start coming up in the next few quarters. I don't know how much impact it will have on FedEx, but if it really hurts them, that's a serious problem because there's nothing transitory about Amazon's competition. They're for real. Bottom line, while FedEx reported an ugly set of numbers, I believe management, when they say most of what dragged them down this time, is temporary. I'm going to emphasize that word, temporary, especially if the stock tumbled 12% today. I think it's intriguing, as FedEx now sells for under 14 times the midpoint of the earnings forecast. The stock might be in the penalty box for the quarter, and we still need to monitor the threat from Amazon, But in the end, FedEx is the kind of name that actually gets cheaper as it gets lower. Bad Money's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls. And the sky's the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. It 
is time. It's time for the white man, Chris Besser. Rap for the delicious hit, Miss Tucker Center. Bye bye bye. So, today you don't know the cold stuff. We're doing a plan to sell. And the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round, Chris Besser. Let's start with Charlie in California. Charlie. Hey, Kramer. So, I called a few weeks ago and we had talked about CRISPR therapeutics. Now, I was already invested in it and I, I took some profits at their peak. Now, I'm looking at a stock called Radnet and how you feel about that or should I get... All right, now, Radnet, we had Dr. Berger on. It's terrific, but it's just going up in a straight line. I'm against parabolic moves. You got to wait for it to come down maybe five day percent before you pull the trigger. I need to speak to Donnie in Illinois. Donnie. Hi, Jim. Donnie. Hi, I've been watching your great show for over 10 years. I want to personally thank you for your knowledge that has made a significant impact on my finances. I was able to retire... Comfortably, and God bless you, Jim. Thank you, man. My question, Jim, is about a company I purchased stock in, went down, and I bought some more, another position, and now it's just flat. Jim, should I sell, buy more, or hold BHC? We ourselves are in a quandary about it. We can't believe how poorly it's done. We feel like we were bagged by management. I have no feeling for it other than to say I just am stunned at how poorly it acts. That's all I can say. I need to go to Eric in Michigan. Eric. Hi, Jim. Eric, what's up? Jim, we spoke a few months back. I called into the show and I asked you about Rocket Companies. Back right. then you said, look, Eric, if the Fed even hints that they're going to they're going to cut rates. This thing will this thing will do significantly better. So I took your advice. Thank you. I bought a major position. My question to you is, do I hold this thing for the next 10, 12 months? And if I do, should you see this thing in the 20s? This thing has just exploded. I'm glad you did buy it. Again, I am going to point out it has a parabolic move, which means you have to sell half of the company and then hope that it comes in. Uh, but if it goes higher, that's all right, too. you got to sell half because it's just moved up way too far too fast. I need to go to Sean in Massachusetts. Sean. Jim Kramer. Hey, Great Sean, what's you, going man. on? Hey, big guy. Yeah, just, uh, well, I enjoy your show, and uh, quickly, too, I enjoy you and David's little banner in the morning. So. Oh, yeah, he's uh, funny. He's funny, David. Yeah, the stock I want to talk about, though, is uh, uh, life, it's the leading uh, software for life sciences. It's a, it's a consistent beat. I mean, it beats estimates and earnings. Uh, what's up with Viva Systems? I just don't see right, it now, translating. This it. one's gotten too expensive, and that's one of the reasons why I've kind of taken it off the table. Peter Kaster does a good job, but Gaster, no matter how good a job he does, I'm not paying 38 times earnings for this. I have to have some discipline, and that says don't buy 38 times earnings. How about Chandra in Texas? Chandra. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Go ahead. On a stock that had a parabolic upswing this year, but my problem is I invested heavily a couple of years ago on this stock, and you know before the parabolic downswing, that I'm back to square one. This company had 11 year, uh, 11 percent year over year revenue growth, user growth is eight percent, and it's just unprofitable. And the ticker symbol is PIMS interest. All right, I like Pinterest, but Pinterest was at 25, you know, what, two, three months ago, and now it's at 37. Too high, ring register, let it come in a little. That's the only way to play that one. Let's go to Sally in Florida. Sally. 
Hi, Seymour. Booyah. Booyah, Thank Sally. you for Thank taking you. my call. Yes, what's going on? My question is on lamb research. You know, I when you said something like in 2018 about buying it, I bought it. Like it was between 140 and 160. Yeah, so it's had a it's big like, run. It's up seven. It's up at, you know, it's at 750. That was a good call. I really liked lamb back then. And it just learned with, uh, and it merged with Novellus. It's terrific. And now it's at 754. And I've got to tell you, I am reluctant to recommend the stock all the way up here when the stock is up 80% for the year, even though Micron reported a good number last night. So we're going to take profits. We're not going to buy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, will a cyber attack on this outfitter leave you in rough terrain? When the cold winds blow, call on Kramer after the break. Baby, it's cold outside. For many Americans, that means buying North Face, the storied outdoor mountain gear company. For people like me, it usually means buying the stock of North Face's parent company, VF Corp. Not this year, though. Thanks to a vicious cyber attack, you can order North Face directly for the website. But they have no idea if those orders can be fulfilled. The website says there's still time to find the perfect gift. But then it says if you need that gift by the 24th, you better go to the store. The scariest thing about this hack and many of the others we've heard about ever since the SEC said companies have to disclose them within four days of finding out is that they're not over. They haven't found the cause of the problem. What a blow to VF Corp's new CEO, Bracken Darrell, to have this happen at the absolute worst time of the year. Of course, hardly a day goes by without seeing some sort of data breach, although most of them aren't this severe, with the exception of Clorox, which was just as bad. I believe Nikesh Arora, the CEO of Palo Alto Networks, when he states the companies need AI to stop the bad guys, because with most of these hacks, there's something different, some sort of anomalous behavior or key that will surface immediately. AI can spot it. Humans might not notice. I mention this today because the cybersecurity stocks caught one more upgrade. The cadence usually goes like this. Palo Alto catches an upgrade. Then we get one for competitor CrowdStrike. And then we get one for Zscaler, the application performance monitoring play. And then we get another recommendation for Palo Alto because the stock's going up a lot and the analysts need to boost their price targets to play catch up. And then CrowdStrike gets one and then Zscaler gets hyped again. This can only happen because the cyber criminals are becoming more sophisticated and more powerful to the point where you can keep raising numbers and price targets. If you're running a business that might get targeted, you can only hope that hackers work like the car thieves at a mall parking lot. If possible, they try to avoid anything with four doors locked. These are the Palo Alto networks. And instead, go for the easy targets like somebody left open. Those would be the companies with no meaningful cybersecurity protection. I thought that's where it ends, but now I feel I was being naive. I now realize that the bad guys are working on building composites about you. They can find out so much about any individual online, which allows them to impersonate you to their coworkers, to anybody, to break into employers' networks. Just think about all the form letters you get in the mail about how you've been hacked. I know, I had a bunch, you usually just throw them away, but wait a second, remember the bad guys who are trying to figure out my password? My dog's mother's maiden name? NVIDIA. Nikesh Aurora from Palo Alto and George Kurtz, the CEO of CrowdStrike, make me feel like their clients know they need to pay up to get the best protection. I wish every business thought that way. 
I know it's possible that there's no way VF Corp would have known it had a problem. The same way Clorox didn't know. But I do think generative AI can help. If you have the most data in your system of any cybersecurity company like Palo Alto does, you know what a normal model looks like and what's an anomaly. That's how they can spot the anomalies quickly before they turn to a VF Corporate Clorox-style digital sabotage situation. There are two imperatives that make the spend mandatory, the SEC disclosure risk and the actual earnings risk that both Clorox and VF Corp have suffered. It's no longer okay to get mediocre cybersecurity. It's too risky, as the people who run VF Corp are just finding out. I don't know about safe, but in this racket, it sure beats sorry. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I'm probably trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries will warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. give it to you. How about that? That's a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that... That's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric CDX Type S. Give up. Order now at Acura.com.